it was like a dark room and just this person being over you, not being able to move and not being able to talk really, but still being like alert and conscious of what's happening and not wanting it to happen. Ooh. And then he couldn't speak. I couldn't really speak. I don't know if I was just more mentally paralyzed too. Maybe that was the portion of it, but I've never not been able to speak. I literally felt like I couldn't say anything, say anything or move. Hi, and welcome to Taboo with Mimi, the podcast that talks about anything and everything, really, that is taboo in this world. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No. But seriously, I go around the world because I'm a digital nomad, and I interview people from different cultures and ask them about their taboos. Why? Because it's time to talk about them. Some things will hopefully make you think. Others will maybe gross you out. But most things will be something you can relate to. So there you have it. Welcome to Taboo with Mimi. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Taboo with Mimi. I am here tonight with a friend of mine. Her name is Nicole. And we're going to talk about some important stuff today. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who are you, Nicole? <laughs> I'm Nicole from the U.S. I work in training and management. I just love seeing people learn things and be better versions of themselves. So that's my real passion. I'm also a yoga teacher, so mix of things. And yeah, digital nomad, mostly living in New Zealand and Bali. Good life. Where from the U.S.? Because the U.S. is so big. Yes, first of all. Yes, yes. So the U.S. is huge. I'm from the area called the Midwest. And so for those of you who don't know where that is, it's in the middle on the top. And I'm from a few states bordering Canada. So like Wisconsin and Minnesota. Those cold states right now. Very cold states. Hence why I'm in Bali. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Nicole and I today are going to talk about something that's really important, which is great culture. Mm-hmm. What is your background? I come from a background of having a women, gender, and sexuality studies minor. And the reason I ended up actually going for this minor is because while I was in college, I was raped. And so it didn't actually really hit me that I was raped until I was actually sitting in class and we were talking about what rape is. And that's when it dawned on me, these feelings and emotions started rising up in me and I started feeling really uncomfortable and wasn't really sure what was happening. And it wasn't until kind of that moment that I really realized the severity of what had happened. Let's rewind for a second. So you grow up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. What is it like to grow up as a woman in the U.S.? As a woman in the U.S., as I think with most of the world too, women are viewed very sexually. Classic saying, sex sells. Everything is about sex, making things prettier, better, this, that. And so I grew up as a little child thinking my worth as a woman was nothing if I wasn't pretty. I've always been very skinny, very tiny, and so I haven't had that classic like feminine body. What do you mean tiny? You're tall. I'm tall, but very skinny. For anyone, I am 5'4", I think. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm 5'8", which is like 175. 175. Yeah. Have you always been this skinny? Always been this skinny. Me too. Yeah. Were you bullied for it? Not really bullied for it, but it was a weird mix because the area that I'm from is very like meat and potato diet. And being the U.S. in general, it comes with being a bit huskier. That's how I'll put it. <laughs> and so people would really portray their insecurities on me. One minute they would tell me they would want to be as skinny as me. Right. And then the next minute they would tell me I need to eat a sandwich. I need to eat more. And so I could really see the differences in their own views and how they are in interpreting them in these societal pressures. But then from both sides, they're thinking they want to be as skinny as me because that's what they see. But then they know that this isn't normal for most people. And so they told me to eat more. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is always funny because obviously I'm skinny too. Mm-hmm. And I've always been told like, oh, you're so skinny. Lucky you look. Or I want to be as skinny as you. Or from parents and family, are you eating? Are you eating enough? Or, so I also got that. 
But besides the fact that I think in that sense, I'm just lucky, quote unquote, because I am alive in a moment in history where being skinny is the, the beauty standard. Yes. The skinnier, the better almost. Mm-hmm. But besides that, I remember I was reading out because I was so sick of this, that actually the way your body is 70% genetics. If I look at my family, it totally makes sense. My dad is super skinny. My grandma was super skinny. My mom was never. She is a little bit more chubby now, but she was pretty skinny. So it makes sense. This is just my genetics. This is who I am. And then 30% is your environment, but it's really hard to change the, the 30% yeah. if the 70% is something else. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their different, like, kind of normal standard of right. like, if they eat healthy and exercise, this is where their body's going to be at. Right. And everyone has those different levels based on those genetics. Exactly. But mm-hmm. what I just don't understand, why people don't see that maybe they'll never be as skinny as I am because mm-hmm. their genetics is something else, unless they start themselves, mm-hmm. which is super unhealthy. Yeah. You're clearly also genetically skinny. Genetically skinny, yeah, I get it a lot from my dad's side, but then also as a child... Ever since I was a child, I've been a very picky eater. It's gotten better over the years, but I developed IBS at a very young age. For those people who don't know what that is, that's irritable bowel syndrome. It's basically, I would be, I didn't like meat. I didn't really eat a lot of vegetables. My friends used to say my diet was the three P's. Pasta, pizza, and pop. <laughs> you would be perfect in Italy. <laughs> Born in their own place. <laughs> Born in a place where pizza finally like, get it, but it's not as good. Yeah. 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 But I would just fill up on all this sugary treats. Yeah. And lots of milk. And then my body wouldn't like that. And so I would have diarrhea constantly when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so that affected a lot of my childhood then too, because then obviously I was self-conscious about that. My body wasn't getting the right nutrients. So I was really skinny mm-hmm. and affected my mental health my self-worth was down which then those beauty standards that i'm seeing are like portraying on me more just more self-conscious of everything and not really fully able to develop mentally properly mm-hmm. which is a problem yeah yeah makes sense beauty standards everywhere are horrible but i think in the u.s are especially strong what i like to say is the u.s is like capitalism on steroids so everywhere, not everywhere has capitalism, but many countries have capitalism. 99% of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but capitalism, what I've realized from my travels is capitalism in the U.S. is done differently. Okay. There's more money spent on it. There's more investment in it. And so the ads that you see in the U.S. compared to other places in the world are like yeah. some of the best in the world. They're so good at psychologically analyzing people and embedding things into the, their subconscious to make them think that they have to be better, look better. To sell better. To sell better. Everything is commodity, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You yourself are a commodity. If you yeah. don't think you're pretty enough, you're going to buy more products. You're going to get a gym membership. You're going to do all these things. It's not really about you. It's more about how much money you can put into the economy. Yeah, and you can make, basically. Yeah, I remember I, I thought it was absolutely crazy. I have a very good friend of mine. She lives in L.A. And I have so many people that develop... First of all, I have so many... People that I know that developed actually eating disorders while living in LA because everybody is like on steroids about every kind of type of diet to do out there that there is. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But also they told me that there has actually written down on menus in LA the amount of calories for each and every single thing they really? and say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But beyond this, I feel absolutely it's really crazy. Everywhere it's like that, but in the US is absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But but as a woman, you get to school. How is your experience? Because, for example, I remember I was recalling yesterday, I was talking to a friend that the fact that people were just smacking my butt or mm-hmm. touching my butt, that's been happening since I was in middle school, 12, mm-hmm. 13, where guys would just, at the first approach with girls, would like smack your butt just because. We would almost be fluttered by it. Because, I mean, exactly. It's like, I'm pretty, right? Because yeah. otherwise, he wouldn't do that. So actually, it's like people have been doing it since I was 13. Wow. No, it, there's not so much that physical touch aspect like that in the U.S., or at least where I was. But I'm sorry you had to go through that. For 
us, it was a lot of the outfits. I remember specifically if you had what they called a spaghetti strap, which is like a very thin tank top strap. You couldn't wear that as a girl. You would have to be told to cover up, put it away, things like that. There was, your shorts had to be a certain length. And so for me, the rule was when you have your hands down while standing, wherever your hands landed on your legs, that's where your shorts had to be. Which I have long limbs. They would be like down to like basically my knee. It's like ugly. No one could that. And so I got, I remember so many times I got sent to the principal's office or whatever in discipline for not having a long enough shorts. Yeah. Skirt. There was one time specifically I was going to something and I was in a church community and I went to a church camp or something. I don't even remember what city it was in. It was in a pretty decent sized city, especially for a 12, 13 year old girl. And so we went as like this church group and in one of the breakout groups, they broke up the boys and the girls and they had this whole discussion with girls about how you shouldn't be sewing spaghetti straps or this and that. And you shouldn't be looking provocative because then the men will get turned on and it's our job to stop them from getting turned on. And after that, they pulled me aside and told me that I had to go back to the hotel and change because my shorts were too short. They sent me alone as a girl, 12, 13, out into a city by myself to go change shorts, to go change pants. They, they thought I was too provocatively dressed and they sent me out alone in the city. And that was the church way to do it. It wasn't about me and my safety. That wasn't it. The whole point was preserving men's sexuality, making sure that they didn't do something. Modesty. Did it affect you? Affected me a lot. As a kid, I always thought I have too small boobs, no man is ever going to love me. Mm. And as a child, I was like, I don't want to graduate high school without having big boobs, so I'm going to get breast implants. Mm-hmm. As a child, thinking of modifying your body to that degree just to be accepted by society wasn't even something I wanted. Wasn't The only reason I wanted it was to feel accepted and pretty. I shouldn't have to change my body and modify things like that. Now growing up and like looking back, you realize these things. Yeah. But like it's something that's so embedded in you and the culture that like you don't realize it's not normal. Yeah. And what about sex? Did you have sex or education school or how was sex introduced to you? Yeah, so in my area, I think they did a pretty decent job. They started us off at a decent age, so elementary school, like fifth grade, they started talking about periods and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we got into middle school, which is, I think, again, around 11, 13, something like that. They talked to us about what sex was birth and things like that and then when we got older then they talked to us about here is like a condom here's contraceptive and things like that and so it was pretty modest overall but like they actually got some of the main points across so this is what the trembles are this is the process of it going into deep into here is sex but we knew what it was but was there ever any discussion about consent because and I'm going back to what I was saying before. Mm-hmm. The problem of having a guy smacking my butt or vice versa isn't so much about the act itself. It's about consent. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you permission to touch me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the person I was talking to yesterday was like really like buffled by it. Because it's like, wait, what? As if it's not something that is taught to us that it's not okay if there's no consent. I do remember there being some element of consent, but it's one of those things they're teaching you about emotions. They're telling you to say, hey, when you're upset about something, say, I feel when you, and Mm -hmm. you learn this stuff in school, and they're like, yeah, make sure to ask for consent. But it's done in such a way by, in such like a structured formal way that it's almost like, ah, that's silly. Like you hear it, but if a friend was upset with you and they said, hey, I feel when you'd laugh at them, you'd be like, oh, you sound like you're in health class. It's not really taken seriously. For sure. But I still appreciate the fact that they tried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Did you guys have that? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. We had sexual location. Mm-hmm. Everybody was laughing about it because it's like <laughs> sex. Luckily for me, I had a lot of education, good education that came from my family, mm-hmm. from my mom specifically, about mm-hmm. it, about consent and what it should be. And 
even just what is consent during sex and what is not consent during sex. Even just to know how to distinguish consensual sex from mm -hmm. rape. Mm -hmm. And even though people can explain it to you when you live it, it's, it's very different. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about your experience, what happened. Mm -hmm. Yes. Before, as I noted, I was pretty low self-esteem and things like that. So yeah. I didn't think I was funny or pretty or smart or clever. And so I didn't think I had a lot going for me. And so I thought the only thing that I could have, the only reason why men or anyone would like me is if I was sexual. Hmm. And I was decently promiscuous. Like I just, I also had fun with it. It was a form of enjoyment. It was a break from all of the mental trauma in my head of my depression and anxiety. And having someone there who, I mean, even in that moment, it, when you're in a sexual experience, you feel loved and supported. You feel like someone likes you. When was your first time? I think I was probably like 14, 15. Wow. In the back of a car. Wow. <laughs> That's really movie like. Did you like the guy? I liked him. It was our friend groups hung out a bit. And then there was like one night I snuck out and we were hanging out at a friend's place, went down to the car and had sex. Had sex, yeah. In the car. In the car. So what we like. <laughs> was it comfortable? <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking of really coffee. Oh, was the car comfortable? I said, yeah. And was the date comfortable? Oh. <laughs> Both. Whatever. It wasn't ideal when you're young and you don't have a lot of places. You take where you can get effort of people having, having sex in parks. We're not like, I at least had a seat. Yeah. Cushion, so. Yeah, because you couldn't go to your house or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Places were limited. But yeah, it wasn't obviously the most comfortable. Now, if you're having sex in a bed regularly, I don't think I'd go back to a car. In the <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a passage. It was good. It was functional enough for the time. Yeah. Uh, how was it? Yeah, it was good. To be honest, it was probably one of the smallest dicks I've had. So I didn't really notice the difference between his fingers and his dick. And so I didn't really realize it was happening at first. But then I was, wait, there's two hands up here, which means, what's down there? <laughs> and but yeah, it was enjoyable. It wasn't painful. I think that's good. I was going to mm -hmm. say my first dick also wasn't humongous. Mm -hmm. And looking back at it now, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Because I think, especially now that I have tried huge dicks, I'm like, think about that today with the... 13 years of sex experience for me. Yeah. The first one, that wouldn't be the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might not have been too comfortable. <laughs> like, ask me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, like, it was nice, but it wasn't really with my sexual experience at first, wasn't with people I really cared a lot about. Right. Until I had one serious boyfriend in high school, and then I had a not serious, but like a kind of regular guy friend hookup. Mm -hmm. My freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. And then we're ready to get into the story. Whenever you're ready. All right. So we're in college. So we're in college. You're what, 20? 20? No, it's 18. probably like 19. We're 19. Yeah, 18, 19. And I was in a calculus class. That's how I met him. And he was nice, cute. He asked to study one time. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. I was having a hard time with calculus. I was... Ironically, working at um, Hooters at the time. <laughs> and so that didn't leave me a long time to study because they filled out my schedule a lot. What's Hooters? Oh, yeah. Hooters is a restaurant that's known for sexualizing women, essentially. Oh. So they're wearing very short shorts. They're wearing really tight tops that like show off big boobs. They the Abercrombie version of a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yes. And so when you go there, like, it's known that the women are beautiful. The men go there to kind of gawk at the women and chat with them. The women are super friendly to the men and things like that. Is it still a thing today? Does it still exist today? Yeah. Is it up and running? No one says anything? Yeah, it's still existing live and well. There's one in the South, too, that's called Twin Peaks. So there's, like, competitors even. Wow. To do scale. Yeah. Wow. And I was working there at the time. 
with your huge boobs. With my very huge boobs, as noted before, they did not come in after high school. <laughs> luckily, can we say this, luckily you didn't get a boob job. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't get a boob job. Yeah. Which I was still thinking about it in college. I was like, I don't want to graduate college without big boobs or without boobs in general. And one of my boyfriends, my like long-term partners, actually helped, helped me accept them more, which was nice. But good for you. Yeah. Back to the story. So, yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to study calculus. So it was like someone was offering. I was like, cool, I was struggling with it. So I was like, it would be nice to work with someone. So we met up at the library. And he had brought into the school library with him a water bottle full of some alcohol. It's like, so we're both kind of drinking it and stuff. And then we get done like half studying, half chatting. And we're like, go for a little walk after looking at the stars. And he's like, oh, do you want to come back to my place and smoke some weed? And I'm like, why not? And so... And the semester had, like, just started, too. It was, like, first few weeks of school. Mm-hmm. And so we went back to his place, and then we go upstairs, and we go sit out on his roof. And so he brings out this bomb, and he's, here, take a hit. So I take a hit, and I'm like, ah, here you go. Your turn. Me, it's not. I'm good. It really surprised me. In the weed community, you don't really smoke. You don't really smoke a lawn. Yeah. Especially, like, he invited me back to his place to smoke, and then he didn't smoke any. And so that was, like... He wanted you to get stoned, but he wanted to still be alert. Yeah. Hmm. And I had smoked weed, like, a decent amount by this point. And the effect that that weed had on me was unlike anything else. I remember later on that things got more fuzzy than they usually did. We end up in his bed and he's like starting to feel me up and things like that. And I remember wanting to say no. I remember wanting to move or adjust and I couldn't. Do you think it was just weed? Because it doesn't sound like it was. It doesn't sound like it was. And it was hard. It was like a dark room and just this person being over you, not being able to move, not being able to talk really, but still being like alert and conscious of what's happening and not wanting it to happen. And then he couldn't speak. I couldn't really speak. I don't know if I was just more mentally paralyzed, too. Maybe that was the portion of it, but I've never not been able to speak. I literally felt like I couldn't say anything, say anything or move. And then you go to sleep, you wake up, he offers to drive me home. He was being really sweet in the morning, which was strange. And then the next day when he was dropping me off, I remember walking from his car to my dorm room and I just felt gross. I felt disgusting. I felt like I needed to cover up. And like, I love summertime. I hate wearing clothes. Obviously I was apparently wearing shorts that were too short for school, but I just felt like I needed to cover up. I needed to get under blankets. I needed to comfort somehow. And... That so when it hit me that something didn't feel right. Because at the moment I was like, oh, I was just high. You tried to rationalize these things to yourself. Like, oh, it wasn't that bad. And I ended up like telling one of my friends about it. And I was like, yeah, because I didn't realize like at that point that I'd been drugged. I thought it was just like, you were just high. I was just high. And I just, maybe I was like paralyzed and not wanting it, but maybe something. I was blaming myself as we do. Yeah. And so I remember telling my friend, like, yeah, I had sex with him, but, like, it wasn't consensual. And she's, ah, you know, like, I have a long-term boyfriend. Like, sometimes I fuck him and I don't want to. So, like, same thing. That was her way of trying to understand and, like, associate. I don't think she meant anything bad by it. I don't think she was doing any of my experience because I didn't even understand what my experience was at that point. Yeah. But... I just assumed that was normal then. And so it wasn't until, like, I was talking to... One of my guy friends, ironically, and I told him I had non-consexual sex. And he was, that's rape. And I was like, mm, no, like, that doesn't really fit it. Rape is like from a stranger in a bush jumping out and assaulting you. It's not from someone. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I was like taking the gender studies class and they were talking about rape culture and what rape actually is and things like that. Like it really started to hit me that that was actually a rape. What did they say that make you feel like? Oh, shit. I remember watching a video, and it was from a fraternity of these guys who were, like, raping women. 
And it was the way they interviewed them just from a psychological standpoint. And essentially what these men were saying was like, oh, yeah, we have these parties. We make sure to get the women drunk. So we have a lot of free beer. You scope them out at the beginning to see what ones are like younger, maybe new or self-conscious. And we'll make sure to keep filling their drinks up. And then when we know they're drunk, like we'll go over and start chatting with them and stuff. And then we're like, we bring them up to our rooms. Like, and they basically laid out everything that they did, which listening to that, it sounded like a predator trying to catch their prey. And the similarities of that and the situation that I had been in started to dawn on me. Right. Start with alcohol, wanted to give you alcohol, mm-hmm. start talking to you and then invite you over to his place and then blah, blah, blah. So you would like listen to the story. I'm like, wait, this sounds familiar. Yeah. And when they were describing what rape actually is, not just the man jumping out of the bushes, right? It's or a woman like, fighting it. Because there's yeah. also this thing mm-hmm. that, like, if you don't fight it, mm-hmm. if you don't say, as you said, I couldn't say no, but like, if you don't fight it, if you're not trying to not have it, it means you're okay with it. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't say no, how was he supposed to know? And it wasn't until I started learning what actual consent was and looking back at that experience that I actually realized what it was. The trauma started to hit me immediately. My grades started dropping. I was really depressed. I was listening to sad music. I started writing poetry because I didn't understand how to comprehend my emotions at that point. Anything I tried to say didn't feel like it expressed what I was feeling because I didn't really learn how to talk about emotions growing up. And so I started writing some poetry and finding things like that. I dyed my hair red. I wrote this whole poem about red is for strength and like power. I was just trying to reclaim things again. And so I dyed the bottom half of my hair red. And then I realized I couldn't concentrate on school after I realized what happened was months down the line. I wanted to take some time off from school because I realized I wasn't going to be able to continue with school at this rate because I wasn't able to focus. I had always had depression and anxiety since I was like a child. It's like my first memories as a kid is like wanting to kill myself, like very hard stuff. And it had gotten to a point that even I couldn't control anymore. And so I was like, I need to get this under wraps before I even continue with school. And so I went to figure out how to, it was during winter break, and I went to the school to tell them I wanted to take the next semester off because I had already signed up. I needed to tell them I wasn't going to go. And the woman was such a sweetheart. I am so grateful for her. She asked me why I wanted to take time off. And I don't know why or how it got to the point that I actually opened up to her about what happened. And she gave me the resources to go to a therapist in my city. They had free therapy sessions for people who had been sexually assaulted, which was amazing. The therapy that I went to from that changed my entire life. And she asked, she said, you don't have to, she said, do you want to report it? And I said, no. And she said, we totally respect your decision, but can I ask the name of the person? Because if we see a trend of this happening with this person, then the school will want to take action. And so I gave her the name of the actual person. Do you think that it's something? I don't know for sure. From the way it happened with me, I wouldn't assume that it was his first time or that it was his last. But again, how many people would realize this. Women are young at this age. They don't know. I was young. I didn't know. And so how many people would go to the extent of reporting him? Mm-hmm. What did report mean to you? Report to the school or report to... What did she mean to report it to the police or to the school or she meant to the police? So when I told her, she said that, and I just told her the name. It was just for dumb 
to log it. And if they saw a trend of this person, then they would take action. So they would do something themselves at the school, maybe kick them out or have a chat with them. Maybe I have no idea. But it's crazy. They need a trend to do that, though. Mm -hmm. Like even just the name of a person said that he raped you. That should be enough already to do something about it. Yeah. I decided not to report it to the police because I figured it out months later that it was actually rape. And so I felt if I turned it in, one, they wouldn't be able to do like the swab test or whatever to be able to prove that it happened. So it'd be like my word against his. Yeah. And in these cases, they always go back and look at the women's past. So if they look at my past, then I was like, I don't want to be on trial for my past. I was like, yeah, there are times when I had sex with someone and sex with a handful of people, but that doesn't mean that in this instance I consented to him. Right. And so I just didn't want to be put on trial for that. And so it wasn't worth it for me. Mm-hmm. And with them asking the name so they could do something, that kind of took the weight off my shoulders. The burden that I had, the biggest debate that I had with reporting was I didn't want him to do it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I was more worried about the other women out there than I was about him getting reprimanded. In the way that I reported it, only the school knew. Okay. It wasn't like on a public list or anything. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if he did it to other people. Probably did. Mm-hmm. We never had contact with him anymore. No, no. I ended up dropping the class. A week or two later, because one, I didn't want to see him again. Even before realizing like that it was fully rape, I knew I didn't want to see him again. Yeah. I knew I felt too uncomfortable with that. And it was getting really hard for me because calculus, as anyone will know, is a hard class, Mm -hmm. hard subject. And with how much I was working at Hooters, it was conflicting. Yeah. The only time I was able to study. And so I dropped that class and then ended up taking it the next time when I went back to school. I didn't talk to him anymore after that. I didn't see him. There was one story that I heard from a friend of this guy just being a complete asshole at a party, just coming in, doing the classic, having a lot of cash in their hand and spewing it out, just being like a fucking dick. Yeah. And I was like, what was this dude saying? It sounds like similar energy. And I think we figured out that it was this dude. But... After that, hear anything of him until a couple of years later when I was in a serious relationship. The guy I was dating knew that I had been raped. And so he was very nice and comforting and he was very helpful with me getting over it, even though it was like a year later. But at one point we were having a discussion and he wanted to look into this guy. And I was like, fair enough. I was like, here's the person's name. And... At this point, it was like three years after it happened or something. And when he looked into this guy, he found out that he had committed suicide. Hmm. Based on the limited information that I knew about him, which was, again, being in a class with him for a week, the rape, and then hearing this other story of him just being a cocky asshole at a party. I'm not sure if he realized what he did. Either me, probably multiple other women, and started feeling guilty, or if he just had a lot of other mental trauma himself, and that he was acting out in bad ways because of his own mental fucked upness. Yeah, I'm sorry to happen to you. You're really strong for being able to tell the story. Thanks. It's been years, and the therapy I got from it really helped. And not that I'm happy that happened in any way, but the therapy that I got from that helped me not only get over the rape itself, but also start healing some of my depression and anxiety and started helping teach me about self-worth and value and things like that. And so without that therapy, I honestly don't know if I would be here today, regardless of the rape, even before the rape. I never saw myself as having a future. 
the only future I saw myself having was like me killing myself at one point. And so the fact that I had made it to the age that I was always baffling to me. I'm like, oh, I made another year. That's crazy. I didn't kill myself. I couldn't have future plans because I never thought I'd be alive for it. And so it wasn't until going through this therapy and healing, starting to heal my depression, that like I actually started thinking about a future for myself. And it wasn't until I started dating that serious partner the year after that I realized I had gone a few months without having a suicidal thought, which was huge for me. I never knew that was possible. I just thought everyone had suicidal thoughts all the time. I didn't realize that it wasn't normal to have those, to feel that way all the time. And although it was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life, it's also been one of the most impactful. And I got a tattoo about it. <laughs> Can we see it? No, I'm <laughs> Good for you. Honestly, come on the other side mm-hmm. of it. Have you ever thought about, we know he's probably not here anymore, but have mm-hmm. you ever thought if you could ever tell him something or talk to him or not really? Because... You're done. You don't need to go back there. Yeah, I honestly never thought of that before. Now, I don't think I'd need to say anything. Back then at the time, I don't think I was strong enough to consider that as an option. (laughs) To even know what to begin to say to him. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it would just be interesting to see where his mindset was with the whole thing. To me, it seemed planned. And it probably was. Mm -hmm. And it was really scary as well because it feels Mm -hmm. like he's done it before. Yeah. And he's probably done it after. Mm -hmm. Because, and this ties into the whole episode, this is rape culture. And it's growing up as a man. And I think what's really disturbing to me is when people say, oh, he's a rapist. He's a psycho, right? He's not normal. And that's not the reality of it. He's a totally, probably normal guy. Maybe, yes, maybe he was oppressed or something, but Mm -hmm. most guys that rape or kill women are totally normal guys Mm -hmm. that grew up in this world, Mm -hmm. which is a patriarchal world that has a huge rape culture. We teach them that it's okay to sexualize women. To start with. And I remember having a conversation with friends after, because obviously I got, I'd get very triggered for the next year or two. And people used to say rape is a joke. You're like, oh, that has raped me. And I'm like, that triggered me. I'm like, hearing that word was just like, it would bring me back to the feelings of that happening. Yeah. And I remember sitting with a group of some of my guy friends there and having some guy chats. And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. I can fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at one point he was like, one of my friends said, ah, oh, yeah, we could have had sex, but I didn't push it. And I'm like, that phrase just baffled me because it was said so casually and all the others like understood. But to me, what that phrase meant was if I would have pushed for it, she would have given in. Mm-hmm. Which sounds rapey. Yeah. If she wanted it, she also could have initiated more. And it doesn't lead to that. Yeah. There's always this perception that it's cool if the men is having sex and doing these things. And so women should be sexualized. And then the men, it's okay to sexualize them because they're sexualizing themselves. And then if they get raped, it's their fault. Yeah. But it doesn't account for the fact that, like, men are in control of their own actions. Absolutely. But the society that we live in kind of just allows them to say these things, to grab them by the pussy. Mm-hmm. And that's just seen as acceptable. And people get upset. They are like, oh, that's just a statement. They wouldn't actually do that. It's just a joke. It's just, it's a, just joke. Talk, a real talk. It's just men talking. Yeah. Broad but, talk. But when we say that's acceptable yeah then they begin to internalize that as acceptable and they begin to then not respect women and our rights and our ownership of our bodies yeah 
I always say this because I feel like it's really interesting that most times, especially when like these things happen and something will come out in a magazine or a newspaper or whatever, he always says that woman was raped by someone instead mm -hmm. of the man raped a woman, mm -hmm. which I think it's really interesting because it's always makes it passive towards a woman. Mm -hmm. This man raped a woman is what actually happened. It's not the woman she got raped, but it's just like shifting the focus on who is what. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a way to start because I sometimes like I actually just recently found out about the pyramid of rape culture, the pyramid of violence and how mm -hmm. that starts is exactly what we said. It starts with jokes, with demeaning vocabulary, talking down on women, mansplaining. It starts from thinking that you are superior to women mm -hmm. and internalizing that. And then it goes from, maybe I can just set your butt without your permission. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can just set your boobs without your permission. And mm -hmm. then if I can do that, how much can I push it until exactly. she now? Exactly. And if it's that, <laughs> then why can I not have sex mm -hmm. without your permission? Mm -hmm. And from there, it can only escalate. And then I'm going to kill you because you didn't agree to what I was saying or because for whatever reason, mm -hmm. or like maybe, I don't know, overpowering me. That's the reason why I get mad when people talk down on women or when these things happen or people joke about it mm -hmm. because it's not funny. And that's how problems start, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And I think in college, especially, this is so common. And, and again, when we go back to who are these people? Who are this guy? I think it's really important to say it can really be anyone. It can be anyone. It can be your brother, your friend. It's very interesting how much we've normalized it in our culture to the point where when someone kind of says something around it in the men's circle, like I said, oh, I didn't push for it, others I could have had it. Never just saw that as a fine statement. But the majority of our actions are based on subconscious beliefs. And so if we believe that we can make jokes about these things, then we believe that we can take action on them. And that is internally in us. And so, yeah, fine, I'll laugh at like a woman in the kitchen joke once. But if it's your continuous pattern and it begins to show your actual beliefs and those are deeply rooted in you and they take a long time to change, especially for a society that's yeah. been living the certain way for so long. They don't realize that their actions, these seemingly small actions to them, have these large consequences in other areas. Yeah. For guys, they're seen as cool if they get with a lot of women. And trying to be cool, having low self-worth. I had low self-worth, and so I was going out and fucking a decent amount. He was probably trying to do, maybe it was something similar for him but just taking it to the next extreme because he was a male and he had that power and those opportunities too. I can really specifically say from, again, what I know of him, he doesn't seem to be, he didn't seem to be the most emotionally stable. Yeah. And like when I found out about his suicide, which is obviously terrible, I'm, it's a hard thing for anyone. Yeah. But when I found out about it, for me, I was just, relieved that no other woman would get harmed from him. Yeah. Because he clearly wasn't in a good enough spot himself to protect himself from others. Yeah. Moving away from him because I feel like we've given him too much attention almost. <laughs> <laughs> I want to focus on you and no empathy for this guy. I'm sorry. How's your sexual life now? How do you feel today? <laughs> this unfortunately happened to you somehow. Yeah. Something good came out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, so as of today, I'm in a kind of different spot. I'm going to go briefly over something that I think is interesting too in how I reclaimed my sexuality after this because I didn't feel like my sexuality was mine anymore. I felt like it was his. I didn't feel like I had that. I needed to feel like I had power and control in this area because it had all been taken from me. Mm-hmm. And what I did, there was some app, I think it was called like Secrets or something, that you could go on, you were anonymous, and you could post something. 
and then other people could comment on it and then you could have a private chat. And so I went in there and I did this a few times. I would post something kind of sexual and then wait for a guy to message me. Hmm. And then we would sext, like sexting. No pictures, but that was my way of reclaiming it back mm -hmm. in a way that I could do it safely. Yeah. Because in person would have been too much. I didn't feel like I had control there because men are stronger than me. I'm tiny. <laughs> Doing it online in a virtual environment where no one knew me was like my way of being able to take back that control and that safety mm -hmm. and slowly take a step forward. And then have much sexual experience after that until I met my long-term partner that I was with. And then he helped me like work through things because he was very sweet. Not that we like had a lot of community. We didn't have a lot of conversations around it, but he knew and I knew that I could trust him not to hurt me. And so that helped me get through it. I opened up my sexuality again. We had lots of fun. Started getting into different kind of experimenting a bit with some things. And that kind of opened me up again because I had been so closed for so long. And so being with someone that I knew on such an intimate level, friendship and connection and everything opened me up again. And then, yeah, when you're in a serious relationship, you have that spark with someone, you break up, you go through like a slut phase, then you go off it for a while and you're like, I don't need anything and it goes up and down, but there was, I don't have to get into it fully, but then there's a recent experience a couple of years ago where one of my close guy friends actually assaulted me. And after that, so I did speak up while I was there. I wasn't fully mute at that time. Thankfully I wasn't drugged. <laughs> But I spoke up there and then the next day we had a chat and I was like, if you're doing this to me, someone that you know and respect, what are you doing to other women that you don't know that you're meeting at these bars? I was like, you really have to take a look at yourself and like how much you respect women and how you're treating them in the bedroom. And that kind of ended that friendship then. So I just, he apologized, but I didn't feel like he understood the severity of his actions. Mm -hmm. And so I just pulled away and then blocked him. And it's traveler community. So I didn't have to see him again, thankfully. Yeah. But then after that, I've been a lot more hesitant because there was something else with another guy that I was really close with where he physically assaulted one of my friends. And having both of those happen within the week period and then going through like a breakup with someone like I was seeing for a bit all within three, four weeks was just really traumatizing for me. Felt like I couldn't really trust the men that I was close with. Mm -hmm. Took some time off and self-reflection and things like that. And then started seeing a guy that I was like friends with. And so again, when I have that open communication and trust with someone, I'll open up sexually very easily. But unless I have that, I'm a lot more closed off sexually than I have been in the past. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think what people really don't understand that is like this being sexually harassed it happened to me. It happens to so many people. It happens to women all the time. And a lot of the guys out there don't get it. No. The two dates that I went on before I started dating that last partner, they both, to a small degree, sexually assaulted me. Sexual assault is like a big word. So yeah. I'm not going to label it as that. But there's just the consent factor. One guy, yeah. we had gone for one drink and then we went somewhere to order food. And while we were standing up at the counter, he sucks my ass in front of the workers on the first date. And so I told him at the end of the date, I was like, you don't do that. You can't smack someone's ass. He just rolled his eyes and then was like, said the other eye. And I was like, no, I don't want to be around you anymore. Yeah. And then he drove off. I had ordered an Uber, so I was just waiting for that. And then I get home and he apologized for not waiting for my Uber with me. <laughs> not for smacking my ass, for not waiting for the Uber with me. Yeah. And I'm like, really, it just went past the side. Just, just like a normal person. Yeah. They just, the severity of their actions, they just don't realize. I was like, I felt uncomfortable. 
comfortable with that. That was just a small action, I understand. Yeah. But there's this huge power dynamic behind things. Yeah. That if I say something about that, I'm seen as a bitch. And it's going to be, why is that woman crazy? If I would have said something in that restaurant at that moment when it happened in front of those workers, they would have been looking at me like I was the crazy one. Yeah. Not him. It's the woman who's crazy for speaking out against this. Not the man for doing the fucking terrible action in the first place. There's this huge power dynamic that like men just don't understand. And a lot of times it's in the bedroom, it's physical force. It's if I say no, what if he holds me down? The fear behind it. If I say no, what if he doesn't want to hang out with me again? What if? And so then we just don't end up saying anything, trying to convince ourselves that we want it when we really don't. Yeah. Just because this power dynamic, these so many things behind it, and they don't realize how much control they have over it based on their strength and the general structure of the power dynamic. If they get it, they're seen as great. So they're going to try to push us until we say no. Yeah. But we're seen as a bitch when we say no. So we try to say no as little as possible. And so the line just keeps getting chopped and chopped until... Yeah, and sometimes even like when we say no, it's still, as you said, not. We're like, mm-hmm. I remember a, a few years ago, I was walking around Berlin. There was like this three signs, no mints now. And there was like this huge thing, no means no, and it's been around for a while. And I'm like, why do we even have to clarify the no means no? And it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, exactly. And I do agree. I do agree that there's ways your body can give consent to sex, obviously. It yeah. doesn't always, it's better if it's explicit through words, but you don't have to say yes. I actually personally very much like when a guy asks, Mm-hmm. permission because I feel like that's really respectful mm-hmm. but I do understand not every time you're gonna have sex is are you okay then do you want this but it's like there's like mm-hmm. clear ways to say yes and mm-hmm. clear ways to say no and you can tell when someone's hesitant right of course like when just by general social dynamics most of our communication is nonverbal, even just in a general talking conversation yeah. And so you can pick up on those senses. You can tell when someone's with you in that moment or they're not. Yeah. And so you can just ask. And I understand from a guy's perspective, you can't ask every, you don't want to ask every single time and things like that. Or there is gray lines where, oh, we were both drunk. I forgot to ask. I don't really know. I can see from a guy's perspective how in some situations a girl may see it as great for her, but not for the guy. But the guy didn't mean to force. Mm-hmm. And I can see that there is some gray lines with this, but I feel like we're giving the gray lines too much power. Yeah. Especially if it's explicit Mm in the no, like a verbal communication. Mm -hmm. For me, I remember very clearly, I've talked about it in the podcast as well, like one time with my ex, I felt I was raped by my boyfriend Mm -hmm. because... I was just doing some other stuff. I was leaning over like kind of like a high window. I was like mm-hmm. doing stuff and he just came and he was clearly horny and then whatever. And I couldn't say no because he's my boyfriend. And I didn't. And it was painful because I wasn't ready. And after a while, I said, no, stop. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, this is what rape feels like because I'm not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about it after. And I remember clearly thinking and telling him, there was like no chance in hell from that moment onwards that I would have had sex if I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And that I was not going to come ever again. So somehow that discussion mm-hmm. meant for me that from that time on, I was always going to come and I kept that one. So mm-hmm. it was, at least it was like a good outcome out of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it was... It's interesting how that can happen even in in your relationship or in your marriage. Or it's like usually that. from someone you know, whether it be a friend or a partner. Or a friend of a partner, exactly. What we learn in schools is they try to sugarcoat Vicks. They don't want to get too deep into the emotions or this. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to make it more modest, right? They describe rape, but it basically sounds like a person you don't know jumping down the bushes and assaulting you, raping you on the street. It's not... I didn't want to have sex with my partner. Yeah. And they pushed it. Yeah. And I didn't, even when I said no in like situations like that. It's really interesting because like these things happen all the time. 
to so many of us. Like, I don't really, the more I ask around my girlfriends, the more I realize that almost all women have experienced some form of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. But if you ask men, they haven't been the ones. Yeah. All women are getting sexually harassed, and there's only apparently 1% of men that are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all crazy people. They're psycho. It's not all men. <laughs> I would like to end with the question that I always ask. First of all, what do you wish people understood about this whole thing that they don't? Overall, it's been a journey. I went from being a kid who just wanted to be sexualized to feel loved to getting raped and wanting to cover up and hide from the world to now owning and embracing my femininity and my sexuality with how I feel comfortable despite what society tells me. And so it's been a long journey. It's been probably almost 10 years now. And with that, it's, if anyone else is going through it, it's, I mean, it's cliche, but you're not alone. Try to get support. Friends and family are great for the emotional support time, but like to really get through it, I feel like therapy is highly useful. Someone who's trained in this can do a lot more benefit from a friend being there and giving you a hug, telling you they love you. You need both sides of it. And what I would wish from society is just to take a look at your own actions and realize if there are situations, whether it be sexual or otherwise, where there may have been implied consent or where you maybe push someone a bit. Maybe they didn't want to go out drinking with you that night or something. And you're like, oh, come on, it'd be fun. There's a difference between asking once and pressuring a bit and realizing that for yourself and where that line is for you and your actions and start calling some friends out when you hear some of these statements and things like that. Again, they're small changes, but I really believe that. It's the quote. It's like a little ripple makes a huge wave. And so if we don't start those ripples in our own communities, in our own friend groups and things like that, then there's never going to be the bigger change that we need. Absolutely. And just going off with that, I would say if you see a woman is struggling with anything or with something like that and she talks about it, just be close to that person. Because I feel like not everybody is, is ready to speak up. Mm-hmm. People have their time to say and process. And it's easy because everybody's out. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you do something? Mm-hmm. But not everybody is ready to do that. And that's part of, unfortunately, the society we live in, right? And instead of putting the focus on that and the fault on the woman who didn't speak up, Stay close to her. Teach women to be quiet and hold their opinions in and not speak out. Teach men to have these powerful, overarching personalities. And then when there's a situation that results from those dynamics, we blame the woman. Mm-hmm. When she's just living out, she's not speaking out because she right. can't speak out in public about anything and her thoughts and opinions. No. Why would she speak up in an intimate situation? And so both. If we teach men to be more open and willing to asking for consent and understanding their power dynamics and things like that, but also teaching, giving to society where women can speak up more and they are listened to and their opinions are valid. They're going to be more likely to speak up in the bedroom as well. And then we can prevent from both sides. We can start preventing these situations from happening. So everyone can be happy. Yeah. Because we want to be happy. That's, I feel like... Is it the purpose of life? I don't know. It makes it's, a, it's a goal. It's a goal. It's a good goal. Anyways, Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you for this. I love you. You love me. And uh, do you want to share your your socials? Or not really? Who cares? Sure. Why not? There's not a lot on there. I haven't posted, I don't think, in a year, but I'll post on the stories. Some acro yoga. Yeah. Some people yoga if you're interested in that. Again, that's a way of me reclaiming. I still feel weird about being touched. My friends, it's all good, but like, 
By strangers. By strangers, it's weird to me. And so acro yoga is two people yoga where you're doing yoga poses on another person, essentially. And that's so beautiful. I never thought about it this way. Mm -hmm. That is also like reclaiming touch somehow. Reclaiming like safe touch. Safe touch. And communication. If someone says down and you let it go, you bring the person down off (laughs) out of the air. The socials are, I think it's just, Nicole.Gostomsky or Gostomsky.Nicole, which mm-hmm. you won't be able to spell. I don't know. <laughs> and so it'll be in the links down below. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And to everyone listening, see you next week. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.